This is The Think Tank with Dr. Michael Neal, talking about the major political, economic, and social issues of the week. The Think Tank, KTAR News on 92.3 FM and KTAR.com. Two-part show. This is the first of two parts. Topic is the end of democracy. Uh, Bill Maher had a closing set of comments in his show the other day. And uh, the, these comments have attracted a lot of attention, and they, they summarize what I want to talk about in this show. We'll listen in right now. A document came to light a few weeks ago called the Eastman Memo, which was basically a blueprint prepared for Trump on how he could steal the election after he lost it in November 2020. It outlined a plan for overturning the election by claiming that seven states actually had competing state slates of electors, which, while not even remotely true, would have given Mike Pence the excuse to throw out those states and thus hand the election to Trump. But, of course, the plan required election officials in those states to go along. Trump thought the ones who were Republican would. Most did not. And that's what he's been working on fixing ever since. No, not a good thing. Not a good thing. Fixing on... I'll finish. <laughs> Some presidents spend their post-presidency building homes for the poor or raising money for charity or painting their toes. <laughs> Trump has spent his figuring out how to pull off the coup he couldn't pull off last time. Here's the easiest three predictions in the world. Trump will run in 2024. He will get the Republican nomination. And whatever happens on election night... The next day, he will announce that he won. I've been saying ever since he lost, he's like a shark that's not gone, just gone out to sea. But actually, he's been quietly eating people this whole time. And by eating people, I mean he's been methodically purging the Republican Party of anyone who voted for his impeachment or doesn't agree that he's the rightful leader of the seven kingdoms. Yes, we're going to need a bigger boat. There was a grand total of 10 Republican congressmen who voted to impeach Trump. And by 2024, even those will all be gone. One of them was Liz Cheney, arch-conservative, daughter of Darth Vader. <laughs> and yet now politically dead in Wyoming. Another of the 10 was Anthony Gonzalez. He's already bowed out for running for re-election because he can see opposing Trump means you have no chance. The other eight will either, like him, not run, or they'll get primaried by a Trumper, or they'll have a sudden epiphany about how, come to think of it, Trump did win that election. <laughs> the purge is also at work in Republican legislatures, as several states are already in the process of changing election laws so that they, not nonpartisan election officials, are in charge of certifying the results. Two weeks after the 2020 election, Trump famously called the Republican in charge of elections in Georgia, Secretary of State Brad Raffsenberger, and told him he just needed to find an additional 11,000 Trump votes. Raffsenberger refused. But he's not going to be there next time. Of the 15 Republicans running for Secretary of State in the key battleground states, only two concede that Biden won that election. These are the people Trump is going to call on in 2024 when he's a few votes short, and these people are going to give it to him. So here's what's going to happen. 2022, the midterms. 
Republicans win big. Why? Because the out-of-power party always does in a country where the electorate can't think past, throw the bums out. So the Republicans take back the House, where disputed elections are decided, and the Speaker is Kevin McCarthy, a man with all the backbone of one of those inflatable tube men outside a car dealership. (laughs) Republicans will also have more key governors. Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and Michigan all had Democratic governors who protected the vote in 2020. But they're all up for re-election in 22. At least two will lose. 2023... Trump announces his candidacy and starts having large rallies across the country, which become increasingly angry and threatening as Trump indulges his love for inciting violence. Knock the crap out of them. They'd be carried out on a stretcher, folks. Throw them the hell out. Like to punch him in the face. You know, I know the Hitler analogy is over the top in many ways. It is. I don't think Trump hates Jews. There are too many rich ones. And I don't think committing genocide is in his future. But the mentality of how to take over a country is exactly the same. Play on this feeling of we have been cheated, robbed, betrayed, and now we're going to take it back. Two thirds of Republicans believe the election was stolen. Twenty one million believe force is justified to restore Trump to office. A majority want to secede, whatever the hell that would entail. And yet... 2024 comes, and Democrats treat it as a normal election year. They are living in a dream world where their choice of candidate matters, their policies matter, the number of votes they get matters. None of it does. I won't even predict who the Democratic nominee will be, because it doesn't matter. It could be Biden. It could be Harris. It could be Amy Klobuchar. It could be Timothy Chalamet. As long as they have a D by their name, they will be portrayed as the leader of the army of Satan. But even if they win, Trump won't accept it. But this time, his claims of illegal voting by immigrants or mail-in ballots coming in after the deadline or the system was hacked by Venezuela or whatever Giuliani comes up with on the fly, they will be fully embraced by the stooges he's installing right now. December 16th, 2024. This is the day electors gather to vote for president. Arizona and Wisconsin both send a slate of bogus Trump electors, setting up a showdown on January 6th and daring Kamala Harris to do what Trumpers wanted Mike Pence to do, throw out election results. The difference being, this time, those results really are phony. And this time, it's not just 600 diabetic Fox News junkies and a nut in a Viking helmet. (laughs) 10 million Trump voters have signed a pledge to come to Washington. Of course, nine and a half million flake. (laughs) But half a million still show up and they're heavily armed and incensed when Harris does what Mike Pence wouldn't. Demonstrations grow in the streets. The kind of Antifa versus Proud Boy violence we've seen in Portland erupts across the country. People are afraid to go out anywhere where their political tribe isn't in the majority, which hurts commerce. The stock market is spooked by the unrest and tumbles as Inauguration Day approaches. 
President Biden is under extraordinary pressure to do something to stop the coup before his authority over the military and the Justice Department evaporates at noon on January 20th. What happens when two presidential candidates show up on Inauguration Day, both expecting to be sworn in like a bad sitcom pilot? (laughs) The ding-dongs who sacked the Capitol last year? That was like when al-Qaeda tried to take down the World Trade Center the first time with a van. It was a joke. But the next time they came back with planes. Get past the humor and I think there's enough uh, plausibility in what Mar lays out here to be terrifying. Um, you know, I, I, I've seen it written often that uh, the end of democracy doesn't look like you get a, an outsider come in as a dictator. It, the end of democracy is, if it happens, is going to look like we maintain all our democratic forms. We still vote, but our choices are limited. Our media is restricted. All of the trappings are there. It's, uh, uh, you know, it's reminiscent of, of a quote that's attributed, not definitively, but attributed to Sinclair Lewis. When tyranny comes to America, it will be wrapped in the flag and carrying a crucifix. We will talk about this when we return. Our guest is Terry Goddard. He has been mayor of Phoenix, a gubernatorial candidate, and very often the face of political reform in Arizona. We'll get his take on all of this when we return talking about the end of democracy when we return in the Think Tank in just a moment. The Think Tank, KTAR News on 92.3 FM and KTAR.com. We're back here with Terry Goddard. Welcome to the show. Thank you. The central thesis that I invite you to tell me he's wrong on in one of you, there's three components. One is... Trump will run again, I think, barring health or indictment or maybe bar- let's let's scratch that even with indictment, barring health. I think he runs again. I think his nomination is a certainty. I don't I, I see everybody terrified at, at the thought of taking him on. There's yep. a lot of people who would like to run, but contingent on Trump not running. And assertion number three is the day after the election, he declares victory. Regardless any of, of those, what happens. Yeah. Do any of those uh, sound wrong? No, that that scenario I think is is accurate. I think the the, the extreme part of of Bill Maher's uh, very entertaining and and very sobering uh, monologue is that, like President Trump in the last election, he didn't count on the what I've always thought of as the pillars of democracy the 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 people who sit on election boards, the people, regardless of party, who are the vote counters. And I still have huge respect for them. But apropos of the Halloween season, which we're going into, uh, and and uh, Mars uh, certainly basically fact-based analysis, uh, I think we need to be afraid. We need to be very afraid. We need to be concerned that there is a scenario playing out in our country which could, in fact, be the end of our democracy. Uh, I'm perhaps an eternal optimist. I, I believe that there's some some strengths that uh, don't show up in the evening news. Uh, they certainly don't show up in the calculations that Bill Maher is talking about. But over centuries, they are the strength of our democracy, which is a lot of very decent men and women of all parties uh, who have done the job of... of going through elections and uh, 
and, and counting votes, and they do it honestly, and they do it well, and they're proud of what they do. Uh, you know, I've been through elections uh, certainly many times now. Uh, I've won some, and that's a wonderful feeling, and I've lost quite a number, and that's a terrible feeling. And you always – there are a lot of things challenging that decency right now. Among them are the lack of civility, the lack of uh, people on each side giving the other side any credibility at all. Uh, and the propensity to violence, which certainly we saw on January 6th, and, and uh, as Mar points out, is, is seems to be accelerating in this country. Those are very disturbing trends. I, 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 th- I agree with you completely about the people who stood up for democracy, and I'm talking where courage was di- was was displayed. It had to be Republicans. Well, he mentioned because, by name because, Raffensperger. Yeah, and, and, and that's and, one of the examples. But right here in Arizona, absolutely, we've had some stellar examples. Of, uh, I say that advisedly. Our county board of supervisors, majority Republican, mm-hmm. has stood up for the process, and I think commendably so. And the new county recorder, not the guy who ran this election, yep. but the one that came in afterward. And it would have been very easy for him to take a swipe at his predecessor. Absolutely. And the facts argued otherwise. And he's been on this show. He, he, we had him on for a whole hour, basically walking through. I agree totally on that. What, but what is terrifying to me is that there is an organized movement to purge all of those people. Raffensperger in Georgia, anybody who st- stood up courageous Republicans who said, you know, this may be against what my party wants, but this election was clean. There is an attempt, particularly at the level of the secretary of state, which in most states runs the election. In Arizona, they sort of supervise it. They don't really run the elections. No, the elections are, the run, county level. are run at the county level. But the, but the uh, secretary of state plays a role and a role in certifying. I mean, you look at we have uh, a, a, a a uh, likely Republican nominee who was a participant in the January 6th. I think the acid test of where somebody stands on clean elections is what do they say about the 2020 election? If if somebody is running and they refuse to acknowledge that Joe Biden won the election, which any uh, fair, honest assessment has to conclude, if somebody is unwilling to to concede that point, then I think that tells us about how they'll behave in the next election. It does. It does. It does. And and one of the the, the wars that, that we're engaged in right now as a country is who has access to the, the facts, the true facts. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, one of the, I think, unintended consequences of social media has been that now everybody gets their own. It used to mm-hmm. be, uh, you know, you can have your opinion, but you don't get to pick your facts uh, today, that's exactly the opposite. Uh, you, you do get to pick your mm-hmm. facts. And a group of people, as you say very accurately, believe that the election was stolen in spite of the fact that they have no facts uh, mm-hmm. that they can turn to. We just spent millions of dollars and a whole lot of wasted time in Arizona uh, looking at a rehash of the Maricopa County vote to, to no conclusion that I'm able to discern the victim ended up being the process, the victim being, OK, we didn't find anything wrong, but we're, we're, we're suspicious. And so now other states are, are being similarly suspicious in Pennsylvania and Texas and 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 um, and who knows where else uh, that casting blanket aspersions upon the democratic process is, as Bill Maher says, an invitation to whatever happens to Mr. Trump in the next election uh, he's going to say he won. 
My my takeaway from all of this is that our democracy has been held together more by norms than by laws. And the key norm has been when you lose an honest election, you concede, you affirm the process, you 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 often you know rally your troops and you say we'll be back again we're going to be a force etc. You've made these speeches. I've been you, there. You yeah. know the speech. I, I, I don't and like essentially, that speech, but you do. It, 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 except in a the process rare, works in the democratic and it is contingent upon the loser getting up in front of a crowd in public and affirming the value of the system. I don't like the results, but I accept them. And that's what this time, really for the first time, did not happen. Did not happen. And, 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 and sure, I suppose at the local level there have been examples similar to this, but we've never seen it at the national mm-hmm. level. And, uh, you know, Al Gore is uh, somebody that went through a painful election in 2000. The Supreme Court ultimately gave it to his opponent, uh, George Bush. And, uh, and he, although he could have gone down fighting, he could have continued to challenge it in the courts. His decision was, the process is more important than I am hey, as a as Richard a Nixon in 1960, there were some really squirrely votes in Illinois and Texas. There were. There were. <laughs> and there was a lot that he could have complained about, and maybe legitimately, but uh, he didn't because he felt that more important than any individual was the process. And I, I guess that's what we're talking about here is—, is what what do Americans believe in? And and if they have such contempt for this country and what it has built over the years uh, that they're willing to trash it, uh, then I am despairing of the future of our democracy. I still don't think that's a... I know that's a view that's held by many people, but I don't believe, and maybe this is the optimist speaking, that that's a majority view. We'll be back with Terry Goddard after the break in the Think Tank talking about the future of democracy. Think Tank, KTAR News on 92.3 FM and KTAR.com. We're back with Terry Goddard talking about the future of democracy. I want to probe with you a little bit of the issue of we get votes counted at some point in the next elections. It seems to me right now that a Republican expecting to be nominated has to affirm that Trump won the last election because 70% of Republicans believe that. If you don't buy into that as an article of faith, how do you get a Republican nomination? At the moment, I don't think you can. Uh, and, and I think what, you, what you're putting your finger on is, you know, I, I'm a defender of democracy, but I don't think the American democracy today is perfect. Uh, it certainly has some warts, and, and one of them is the primary system. Mm-hmm. Uh, because right now, I've seen the numbers here in Arizona, and to get out of a Republican primary, you have to affirm that the election was stolen. Uh, and I that's think, demonstrably I think false. anybody who <laughs> says otherwise is going to get elected, at least not today. Now, that could change, and by the time we get to August of, of next year, there they could uh, be some differences. What could, what could happen in the next 11 months to change that? Um. I don't know, because people, as they make public statements, get more and more Invested. locked into a particular position. And I think the more people make that statement, the more it gets legitimated. What could change, I think, is the electorate. In this case, we're talking about the Republican primary electorate. Yes. 
could actually start understanding that they've been duped, that the, this is not a uh, the, this is a partisan advantage uh, situation that's been made and that they are not going to command a majority once they get out of the Republican primary. We we have a primary system right now where a tiny fraction of the voters participate, and on they are the sides. most mobile both on both sides. sides. They are the most mobilized. They are the most uh, – I hate to use the word rabid, but they are the most rabid. Uh, they are the ones who believe in the true cause. And so you will get the most liberal coming out of the Democratic primary, and you will get the most conservative, or in this case the uh, election result deniers coming out of the Republican and now they face each other in a general election. Uh, in the past, in Arizona at least, uh, the, the Republican nominee in most of our legislative districts has had the advantage. They've, they've, they've had more votes and they've had a, a better turnout electorate. And those districts are being rewritten as we speak. The, the districts and, are being rewritten. That may change the, uh, the, the equation on the margins. But here, here is the great unknown that's not part of the primary system. That's one-third of the Arizona electorate is independent. Uh, Nominally. They are – well, they are, they're registered independent, yes. so they don't get to vote in the primary. Um, and I've seen the poll numbers on those. They they are – they're independent because they don't particularly like the current political system. Or they like to say they're independent. Well, that's true. And and, and you could dig deeper and find out they lean one way or the other. But, Some, and, and you take that third, you peel off a, a lot of Democrats and a lot of – you know, independents who always vote Democrat and independents who always vote Republican who don't like to – feel like they're programmed. Yeah, but my point is yeah. comes back to the fact that if you right now poll the overwhelming I mean you you poll Arizona electors not in the primary, not of mm-hmm. the ones most likely to vote for the who nominee, but the ones who are most likely to vote in the general election. And the large majority, over 60% believe that the election was fair and that it went to President mm-hmm. Biden. Uh, so they're not buying this stuff. And it seems well, to me... I 40% can... don't think the election was electorate is unprecedented, and it's a terrifying... It's not a majority. It's a terrifying, a terrifying number. number. Well, it's, it's, it's a majority of the Republican primary voters. We know that. Mm-hmm. And so candidates are going to have to spew a line of falsity, which I do not believe is going to play well in the general election. I can write the ad right now, which mm-hmm. is... X, Y, and Z candidate believes a myth. He is basically believes our democracy is is gone, and I don't think that's going to play particularly well for most voters. So I, I get back to the the, the famous Churchill line where democracy is the least effective, you know, worst system of government in the world, except for all the others. Um, and he was a believer in democracy. So. It has warts. It can be improved. I think there are some very important ways that it needs to be improved so that it will be more credible to the average elector. And I happen to believe one of those is to control the uh, the anonymous cash that plays such a huge role in our elections. That's that is something else. Which I was waiting for that. Basic. <laughs> that's it, it was coming, and I couldn't wait. As long as a mysterious force is dominating the media and the advertising about candidates. The average voter has got a very understandable sense of despair because how can they judge a candidate when they don't know the validity of the folks arguing on behalf of that candidate or trying to attack that candidate? Uh, You know, I think that's a weakness that needs to be fixed. And it's a reason why many people despair uh, of our democracy itself. I, I personally have... 
huge concerns that this this national election at the moment is running as a twice as expensive election as the last one, which was more expensive than any in history. There seems to be no upper limit to there that. There does not seem to be. It's like gaming in Arizona. It keeps it keeps sucking up more money. But at the moment, uh, the, the numbers are, are just horrendous in the congressional uh, races nationally. And much of that is dark money. Much of that is anonymous sources where we never know who it is that's trying to push the button one way or the other in our elections. Those are legitimate concerns. And at the moment, I, I hate to even raise them because it sounds like I'm trashing the whole system. What I'm doing, and and I think responsible citizens need to do, is to quietly keep finding ways to make it better, keep finding ways to to uh, to, 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 to make democracy even purer. But that's not to say that the system we have needs to be trashed in the process. Uh, a point I'd make about this, and you reference media that is paid for externally, um, increasingly that media is consumed not as television and radio, but as paid for social media. Yeah. And and so the the Facebook posts that you read, you see a lot of them that are sponsored and are and are are, are coming to us in that fashion that we. Uh, tend not to recognize. I, I think there there's a certain when you when you watch a television ad, there's a certain uh, skepticism that gets produced when you. It's very obvious when you're seeing a paid television ad. Yeah, it it's is. a lot it less has obvious. A disclaimer afterward, but yeah. if somebody is a a paid influencer on Twitter, uh, that is not disclaimed, and it is something that that I think is nefarious, and it gets it gets once again back into the underpinnings of democracy, which is a knowledgeable electorate who knows what they're doing and who vote for candidates with full understanding of who that candidate is and what they stand for. Um, to many degrees, that's a myth because if if I'm being swayed by an argument, and I don't know who it is that's making that argument because it's a uh, it's sponsored by uh, Citizens for a Better Everything uh, or some other nonsense name that doesn't tell me a thing about who really is behind it, who's really putting up. Very often it. it's the opposite of what they put. Often the opposite. <laughs> Americans for Prosperity. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but the, um, the, the that 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 gives me a pain in the chest about our democracy. But this this more direct point that uh, Bill Maher and you have, have raised today, the, the, the threat from a denier, somebody who says that the whole system is corrupt and therefore we don't pay any attention to it. We don't, we don't administer the result. It, it seems ironic to me that people running for office would then trash the system that just elected them. I mean, and that goes for all the congressmen right now who are saying the election was phony. I say, okay, Let's let's go back and recount your your votes as well as the president's votes, because if it's phony, it's phony all the way down. And, and we to didn't the very recount bottom. a lot of elections that were a lot closer than the presidential and the senatorial. What elections. a surprise. <laughs> no, we didn't. And and uh, so you have to say, OK, this is selective. Uh, th- th- this is very selective on the on the on behalf of the critics. Uh, and And frankly, I think that's the beginning of hypocrisy. And. One well, thing I can say about American voters, uh, and, and, and I believe it is fundamentally true, is they have a pretty good sense and, and, and decry hypocrisy in any of its forms. And, and after a while, it seems to me you can't argue one thing and do the other 
indefinitely. Abe Lincoln said, of course, you can fool all of the people some of the time, but you can't fool all of the people all of the time. And and that in the 1850s was a was a valid sentiment. I think it still is today. Tell us about your initiative. What what exactly is it? What it will do? Well, I, I see it fundamentally as a way to help restore the credibility of our Arizona democracy, maybe someday American democracy. And it essentially says if you're going to a corporate or an individual who is going to put massive amounts of money into trying to influence the electorate, you have to tell the electorate who you are. And then by implication, the press and others will come in and say, okay, we now know who you are. We want to know why it is that you think it's so important that you put 10 or 15 or $20 million into a particular proposition. What, what is the advantage to you? And I think that's the question that has to be raised. Right now, we don't get to ask that question because in Arizona, we don't know. Uh, Arizona is the, the superstar, I guess you would say, of dark money, of anonymous cash playing a role in our elections. And what our initiative would do if we can get enough signatures to get on the ballot, and we've tried twice before, uh, and and I guess you say yeah, well, we've been the victims what, of what very happened, bad luck. Last time, uh, last time uh, something called the COVID uh, pandemic hit us, and mm-hmm. and we really most of our volunteer staff are are uh, let's say of an age where they were particularly susceptible to mm-hmm. to the virus, and and w- although we had enough signatures going into March of last year, to we were on track to get on the ballot uh, for the number we needed. Uh, we basically had to had to suspend the operation and then ultimately stop it because we didn't want to put either the public or our volunteers into harm's way. And uh, uh, so if this gets very, on the, very hard to do, but uh, we had to do I, it. I think the opponents to this know that the only way to stop this is to keep you off the ballot or to get it thrown out of, on a technicality after the fact because uh, – I think in every case when it's gone, Tempe had a had a uh, initiative like this, got over 90 percent. Tempe had an initiative that was exactly the same. It's actually modeled on what we're trying to, to get on the Arizona ballot uh, in terms of full disclosure of the original source of all major contributions. And original source means you can't run it through some dummy. That's corporate. right. You've got to say where the money came from originally. That's right. The person who or the corporation, uh, mm-hmm. the Citizens United, made it clear that corporations can play in this game, too, and they do. Uh, but uh, they have to give uh, – you, you, you have to peel the onion, as it were, uh, to find the, the original person or corporation that earned the money, not the one that is just – Transferring the money from somebody from else. from which you can deduce. Okay, what are the you can, what are you the can make interest yeah, of this group? You can make a not. You can you can make a you know as a, as a juror in a uh, a case uh, gets to do. In other words, the the opposing lawyers uh, will interrogate a witness as to their credentials and as to their bias and prejudice, and they will determine for the benefit of the jury who what the what may be influencing that person's testimony the the voter in Arizona doesn't get that chance and i believe our initiative would give them at least the opportunity to do that kind of questioning of why the original source is so interested in influencing their vote we'll be back with Terry Garded in a concluding segment in the think tank in just a moment the Think Tank, KTAR News on 92.3 FM and KTAR.com. We're back with Terry Goddard discussing the future of democracy. You made an interesting comment in the break. Uh, you said, you know, part of what our problem is right now is basic denial of reality. And you said this is not unique in our history. Oh, by no means. I mean, I, uh, my 
favorite accurately named party uh, in American history were the Know Nothings, uh, who actually went into battle saying, <laughs> we know nothing. Uh, and and they they elected a few candidates. So uh, there, it, it is not unique that uh, that we can have blinders on. It is not unique in partisan argument that uh, we have chosen for immediate political benefit to ignore the facts that are staring us in the face. Isolationism and the before both world wars is is another example of of where uh, I think of sometimes in a majority of Americans chose to ignore what was happening around them and, and, and their own best interest. Uh, but we've always come to our senses eventually. And I think that's been one of the strengths of, of this country over 200 years, a democratic system, which is still emerging is still evolving. Uh, it started out with a lot of, of issues in spite of some very high minded statements as to the commitment to the dignity of mankind and and to we all we hold these truths to be self-evident um we we left a lot of the self-evident truths at the door and we're still wrestling with the uh let's just say the warts of our democracy the things that that didn't get covered the 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 failures but fundamentally we set up in this country and the 1700s, a, a, a system of governance which has both proved to be adoptable and movable and changeable and on basis extraordinarily good at finding the truth. Now, I despair almost every election that the people who aren't interested in that are getting elected. But I think in the long run, we're moving in a good direction. Uh, that's one of the reasons I keep working on the petition drives, because I believe that's the most that's the most elemental expression of American democracy, and it is truly the voters, the people acting as legislators, cutting through uh, the perceived uh, imperfections and, and perhaps the blinders that are on their elected representatives. We've got that as a backdrop here, in, or excuse me, as a safety valve here in Arizona, and it's a precious safety valve that helps, I believe, me and others to, to continue to believe that this is a system that with all its imperfections is still the best that we have in this world. Um, and so I'm worried about the threats. I'm worried about the people that deny the facts that are right in front of them and would would willingly and, and joyfully trash the entire system because it doesn't support the person at, at this moment they happen to support. I think of a lot of the uh, conflicts that we have over the structure have to do with the fact that we were the first democracy Mm -hmm. in the modern era, and the founders did not completely trust the people. The franchise was white male property owners over 25. The United States Senate was set up to be undemocratic. It wasn't even elected by the people. It was elected by the the state legislators on a a very disproportionate basis. And we fixed that. And And we were— The 19th Amendment brought women into the equation. Yeah, but the the franchise has been expanded, though some of the the voter suppression activities are— attempts to uh, de facto pull that back. If you make it increasingly difficult for some groups to vote, that's not highly educated, high-income white folks. And that, that has been a continuing theme in American history. That, and, and I've heard it expressed very, very honestly and straightforwardly by Arizona legislators who say, look, 
I, I know who my electorate is. I don't want to have other people coming in and voting in my elections and in, in this particular legislative district. This electorate voted, because I voted, me, voted people, for me. I represent so. the people who voted for me. I don't want any others messing it up. I guess that's an honest statement of a very dishonest system. Mm-hmm. Um, and and uh, so there are those of us who believe that we can constantly keep evolving democracy, that the the current situation is not perfect, but – what I do despair about is the folks who have so little commitment to this country and to this system that they are willing to trash the whole thing and, and substitute for it what is unquestionably a, a tyranny of, of, of the rule of one man. And that's what we had a revolution about, and that's what I think we continue to stand to the world against. And uh, if if we lose that sense of direction, I think uh, – uh, you know, hope is lost, but well, I don't. I don't see that certainly today. I see a, a group of people who are worshiping a, a falsity, and and that's sad. Uh, I believe ultimately the fact that they are lying to themselves and to the American people or to the Arizona voters is is going to be their undoing. And because, as I said a little while ago, I think the one thing that voters have a very uncanny sense for is hypocrisy in all of its forms. And they may may take them a moment or two to see it. But once they see it, they do react. Well, your example of a prior instance when we were we had something like this, the know-nothings. Uh, I just love the was, name. That was also, yeah. Well, that they was embrace also, the name. And yeah, we but, could... but that was the precursor to the Civil War as well. So that's not entirely comforting. It was indeed. And, and, and many of the feelings that led to the Civil War are still very much with us. Heather Cox Richardson, who I know suggested, you Suggested that, that it ain't over yet. <laughs> it isn't over. And the feelings of privilege, for example, that have always resisted democracy in, in all of its forms because democracy is by its nature egalitarian and it is it is dispersive. And there certainly are are major forces in American life that would like to have just a few people make all the decisions uh, who are fundamentally anti-democratic. But, uh, you know, that fight has been going on for a very long time. And at one point it was in in violence during the Civil War. Uh, Other points it's been uh, Jim Crow and and the use of uh, uh, the KKK dominating the South. a terrible time in our history. We've, I think, come through that. But uh, now we see with 19 states passing new uh, voter restrictions uh, for a threat, which as a law enforcement person I know doesn't exist. Uh, we were called upon when I was attorney general to investigate claims of voter irregularity and, and supposedly uh, illegal votes being cast. We never found you, more you than find, one or you two. You find one or two. One and or two individual usually, votes. Usually somebody who moved here from out of state and voted back home. And, Absolutely. Yep. And, and very often innocently, but yep. they broke the law. Mm-hmm. Uh, sure, you need, to, you need to make sure that that doesn't happen. But, you know, my experience is that it is such a tiny percentage that to pass a whole series of laws supposedly to prevent that from happening – uh, is to it, it's it's a it's a solution in search of a problem that doesn't exist, and so we've scared a lot of people, and uh, we're we're now moving in my opinion the wrong direction. Thank you very much, Terry Goddard. This is part one, part one, of t- part two series to be continued. To be and the, continued. And the reform uh, is something that I think is so important that we all need to be committed to it. And and you are one of the people who's working on one of those reforms in the in the area of dark money. We'll be back. 
next week. Continuing because I believe in the result, and I hope all listening do as well. Same topic next week. Think Tank. Come back.